0: To search through an archive of Dr. Holt's previous sermons, please visit us at fpcgulfport.org or you can look us up at sermonaudio.com. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In today's study, we'll consider the eternal hopes and priorities that we have in Christ.
1: Let's say that you were to walk into a preschool class and in your hands you got two trays. Now, the first tray contains a pile of chocolate chip cookies. However, these are not ordinary chocolate chip cookies, or at least they're not tasty chocolate chip cookies. These are cookies that you found in the attic. These are like a Chips Ahoy that you found from 1970 or attic. You put them on a tray and you walk in and you present that to the kids. That's one tray. Now, The second tray contains a flash drive, a USB drive, and on that flash drive is a million dollars worth of bitcoin. Now, you go in the preschool room with a tray of old, nasty cookies and a flash drive, What are the kids going to run for? What are they going to turn for? Well, they're going to turn for the cookie because because that they can understand. They can relate to that. Whatever's on this flash drive, even if you were to tell them, it it doesn't really do anything for them. But they can see the value of the cookie, even if it's stale, even if it's from 1970, even if it's Chips Ahoy, they're going to value it. (laughs) Someone here loves Chips Ahoy. I know it. So we know that that's the way it's going to work. We know right now, if we were to do this right now, we know that's what's going to happen. We know that that is going to be the outcome. Now, what if we did it in here? What if we had Roddy, goes into the back and he comes out and he's got the same deal for you. He's got a plate of stale chips ahoy or a flash drive stock filled with Bitcoin or what have you. What are you going to choose? Well, you're probably going to choose a flash drive. Why? Because you have a maturity of understanding you have a valuation that is fundamentally different than you might have had when you were young, when you were a child. You have come to perceive things in a way that you didn't perceive in your past, and now you can value certain things properly, certain things are the way they should be valued. With that said, cookies and flash drives are one thing. What about spiritual matters? What about spiritual matters? Are you a shrewd investor when it comes to spiritual things? Are you? The treasures that we're to lay up for ourselves in heaven. Is that the focus of your own choices and priorities week in and week out? Do you esteem the things that God says are the most important and do your actions conform to those attitudes? Well, for many of us, the reality is no. For many of us, the reality is that we can nod our head to propositional truth, that when God says, lay up treasures in heaven, that when He says prayer is important, when He says fellowship is important, when He says the church is important, we can nod our head, we can say amen. And yet, we can make choices throughout the week that do not conform to that which we have professed. And the reality is we are not shrewd investors. So much of our days, so much of our choices, so much of our lives... Are spent on that which is worthless and will not last on the other side of the veil. In today's text, Paul's telling the Corinthians and he's also telling us look up. He says, Not only are you destined for eternity, but there's things that you will do here that carry over there. And at the same time, there's things you do here that will be burned up. All of us are building a spiritual house. Elsewhere, we're seeing in Scripture that that house has different materials, different composition. Within that house, there are jewels, there are emeralds and rubies and diamonds and sapphires. There's also straw and wood and hay. The reality is that for many of us, we're constructing a spiritual house built on straw and wood and hay. Well, today's text and other texts much like it, repeatedly, whether it's words of Christ, whether it's words of Paul, whether it's James and others, we see that we are called to be better investors in that which is eternal than we usually are here. We are called to weigh the different things before us in a way that our choices will conform with that which is wise, that which is smart, and that which truly has value on into eternity. And that's the focus of Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians. All right, let me reread 7 through 12, and then again we'll work our way through. So Paul says this, He says, we have this treasure. We have something wonderful. We have something valuable. We have treasure, but here's the thing. We have this in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be also manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Christ's sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. All right, let's start with earth and vessels. Are you aware of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You heard the Dead Sea Scrolls? At one point, not long ago, no one had heard of them, because the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 1940s and on into the 1950s, and they were discovered in a cave in an area called Qumran. It's right near the Dead Sea. This is one of the things we see on a tour of Israel. You go and you check out Qumran and the site location of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, how were these scrolls stored? If you ever go to this region, the Dead Sea is something else. It's low and flat and it's barren. Whatever you picture to be the most barren place on earth, it's right around the Dead Sea. Its name is bidding. Well, in these caves right outside the Dead Sea, there were these scrolls, but how were they stored? Well, they were stored in the same way that everything was stored that had value in days of antiquity, within Pottery. Within a pottery, that's where anything of value, especially that which was written down, was stored. And the reason why is because pottery, over the ages, was one of the things that helped secure the condition of that which was stored in it from weather and from critters and the like. However, however a clay pot, although it could protect a scroll from the weather and from critters, it did have one vulnerability. What is it? That's a, that's a clay pot. Clay pots, they break. They're easy to shatter. In fact, that's how they were first discovered. The story of how the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, it wasn't archaeologists that found it. It wasn't guys like Indiana Jones following a map and going, aha, here they are, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Nothing like that. It was far more mundane. There was this kid, he was playing near a cave. He took a rock, he threw it in the cave, and he hears a sound. It's a sound of something shattering. He goes in and he finds that there's other clay pots. In these clay pots were the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are manuscripts from antiquity, including books like Isaiah and others, that help us to demonstrate that what you're reading right now is true, and it matches up with that which was recorded centuries even prior to the time of Christ. So this child finds these things by throwing this rock in and breaking this clay vessel. Now, with that said, clay vessels is exactly the reference point that Paul's giving for you and I. A reference point for something that contains something else and yet something which in of itself is fragile and prone to break. And he says, what you and I have, what we have, the Holy Spirit within us, the soul that has been revived and quickened within us, it is housed within the equivalent of clay pot, of an earthen vessel. And it's not a matter of if that clay pot will break. It's really just a matter of when because they aren't built to last forever. You and I, even as we sit here, some are younger, some are older, all of us, all of us are in the equivalent of a clay pot right now. Our soul exists within that which will not last, which is ironic because our culture does its darndest to try to make sure that it will last. There's billion-dollar industries that try to secure youth and anti-aging and all that into the future. The reality is Paul says, hey, no dice. Paul says, what you have within you, your soul and the spirit of God that dwells within the temple, the temple itself, the body, the body is like an earthen vessel, and in time it will break. From dust we come, to dust we shall return. Now, is that a sad thought? Well, at face value, yes. There's something about our own mortality that's depressing, and I think it's meant to be. In a sense, I think mortality is meant is meant to get under our skin and realize that there's something wrong with us. Our own mortality, and when you go to graveyards, when you attend funerals, there's a pedagogical lesson, there's a teaching lesson in these things because it reminds you, when you see those things, when you have these experiences like memorial services, it reminds you that you too are mortal, and you too contain that which is precious within an earthen vessel that in time will break. With that said, there's something exciting in verse 7. Paul says that although that vessel will break, not if, but when, when it breaks, there is yet within the body that we now wear, there is yet within it a treasure that survives the grave. We have this treasure, Paul says, in earthen vessels, and that is treasure that survives the destruction of the vessel itself. So again, what kind of treasure is this? Well, specifically, he's referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, who has quickened and livened our own souls, and which gives us a future beyond the grave. The body houses something that which is eternal. You know, in this room, there's only two things that are going to last the soul of a man and this, everything else in this room, consigned to fire, consigned to fire. Now, as, as one who had been persecuted, Paul understood how fragile the body is. The reading John did earlier described it as just a tent. Well, Paul understood that our body is fragile, and he says it is fragile. It'll get beat up. It'll get persecuted. It'll have sickness. Death it can be witnessed in the graying of our hair, in the diagnosis we don't like, and the creakiness of our joints. He says all this is true. And Paul says he'd face persecution, pain, and the possibility and the reality of dying throughout his ministry. With that said, what he tells the Corinthians and us is that coming face-to-face with his own mortality prompted him to think about eternity. So let's look at that in verses 13 through 15. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe, and we therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. You know, elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells a story. He talks about this man. He says, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. Now, we've discussed this before, but the third heaven... In the days of antiquity, they pictured three heavens. The first heaven is what you can see just above our heads, the clouds, you know, where the birds fly. That's heaven number one. What do you think heaven number two is? Stars, the constellations. So you see above your head the clouds and the birds, and then at night you look up above, and that's the second heaven. That's where the stars and the moon and the sun and the constellations are. That's the second heaven. So what's the third heaven? The third heaven, that's where God is. So Paul says, I know a man, and he's referring to himself who was caught up into the third heaven, and he saw and heard that which is inexpressible. Paul says, it's not even lawful for me to say, it's, it's, it's almost as if there aren't words in the language of man to describe that which he saw, heard, and experienced in this circumstance. He was given a glimpse of eternity, and having been given a glimpse of eternity, he knew what's at stake. You and I, I think we don't. You know, when I wrote my dissertation, I wrote it on the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is that which we believe. I can say Jesus is God, you'll say amen. That's good doctrine, that's orthodoxy. What's orthopraxy? I can say evangelism is important, you'll say amen. But orthopraxy is not just the doctrine. Orthopraxy is what you do with the doctrine, how you apply it, how you respond to that which is true. Well, my sense is that in practice, in practice, We don't properly value that which God values, and we don't perceive it, even as Scripture tells us that we ought. I have always wanted to be given. This has been a prayer that I had, and honestly, if God were to answer it, I would probably be crushed beneath the reality of it. But I've always wanted, to the degree God could ever do this, to be given just one-tenth of one nanosecond of a peek into that heaven reality. Or, conversely, one-tenth of one nanosecond Peak to its antithesis. If you were given one tenth of one nanosecond, one still frame that demonstrated to you the reality of heaven or the reality of hell, do you think, do you think that that would cause you to live differently this week if you had that still frame burned into your mind right now? Well, probably. There are certain investments that we could make. That are no-brainers. And Paul says to the Corinthians and to us that among those investments are that which is spiritual, including prayer and church and fellowship and devotions. And you know, these are things that we often make secondary to everything else in our lives. Let's see how Paul's going to build on this. He's talking about investments. He's saying this is what's valuable. This is what's important. This is what's at stake. Let's look at verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We could lose heart because this life is hard. Therefore, though, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, as we said at the outset of our sermon this morning, there's two words that everyone needs to have a reckoning with. The one word is temporal, and the other word is that which is eternal. Now, temporal, temporary, you know what that means, it's something that's fleeting. But to say something is temporal is a reference to time. It says that its value or its significance Its presence, its existence is limited and confined within a certain amount of time. There are certain things that are temporal. It's pulpit, temporal, made of wood. It won't always exist. Chips, ahoy, cookies, whatever you want to call it, there are certain things that are temporal. And what is temporal is basically everything that you can now see around you. But there's also that which is eternal, that which lasts forever. Now, when Paul looked at his body... When he looked at the shell, so to speak, when he looked at the tent, which he referred to it elsewhere, when he looked at the scar tissues laid upon his back, when he looked at the marks from ropes and chains on his own wrists, when he saw the gray in his beard, when he thought about the thorn in his flesh, he said, this, this, this is temporary. For some of us, that's a good thing. But this is temporary. But he says, I'm not invested in this in the long run, but in that which will last. Even though our outward man is perishing, full stop he doesn't equivocate there even though the outward man is perishing yet the inward man the inward man is being renewed day by day in verse 16 paul says that our great hope is not on preserving this mortal flesh but on sanctifying that which it houses on cleansing that which is within You know, in the natural realm, there's a great picture of this. You have a caterpillar. The caterpillar will go in something called the chrysalis. The chrysalis is that hardened shell by which it's wrapped up in, and then it emerges, of course, as a butterfly. But what happens to the chrysalis? We know what happens to the butterfly. What happens to the chrysalis? Well, nothing. It's destroyed. It weathers. It decays almost immediately upon the the emergence of the butterfly itself. The outer shell is nothing. The The outer shell gets destroyed. And yet, and yet, the butterfly, what does it do? Well, it's transformed. It's given wings. It reaches heights that it could not before reach. Is there anyone in this room who's been a Christian for 20 years or more? 30, 40, 50? I'm sure we've got some folks who've been Christians for a very long time. Now, in that time, you don't have to answer aloud, but in that time, has the outer man experienced any setbacks? <laughs> I'll, I'll judge by, by the laughter that the answer is Yes. The outer man, you don't even have to be a Christian for that long. Let me ask you a question. Do you think I'm over 50 or under 50? Uh, no one's going to go on record. <laughs> for at least a few more months, I'm under 50. So I think of myself as a young man. Well, he was a young man, look at the hair loss, look at the gray. I'm creaky and all this sort of stuff. We know that the outer man, even in his 40s, the outer man experiences hardships and setbacks and the like. And honestly, they set in pretty quickly. They set in pretty quickly. There's a reason why, when you look at the NBA or baseball or football, there's a reason why, you know you talk about someone who's like 34, and wow, he's an old man in, in sports. In reality, he's young to us, but the truth is that the body starts this downward declension early in the process. You have to wait till you're 70 or 80 before your body starts not responding to you that well. It starts earlier than you would think. Well, Paul's identifying this. The outward man is perishing. The outward man is perishing. And it's honestly the grace of God that does this to us. When we creak and when we age and we see the gray hair or the lack of hair or whatever, praise God because he's sending you a message that you're mortal. The outward man is perishing. So stop putting all your time and attention and trying to preserve the outward man. Rather, the focus is on that which is inward, that which is last, that which is eternal. You and I have experienced setbacks. If you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 10 years, whatever. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've seen setbacks in your body. But I know this. You have probably also seen sanctification happens. You have seen that the promise that God made that he would renew you has been fulfilled. Now, maybe not completely yet. You're still growing. And yet you can say, when I became a Christian 20 years ago, I was immersed in attitudes and behaviors that God, through his grace and his action, his diligence, has continually cleansed me of. And I'm not the man by God's grace I used to be. So this is, again, what Paul is saying. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And that's good news. You don't want the reverse. You want this. This is the value that we have. Now, Ephesians 3, Paul described this process to the church in Ephesus. He says, hey, here's how it works. Here's how it works. He says, For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he might grant you, according to the riches of his mercy, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inward man. I want God to give you that which is the best thing he could give you, to save you and sanctify you. Not necessarily to preserve the outward man who's going to face persecution and hardship and cancer and ultimately death, but to sanctify that which is inward and that which is eternal. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and the depth and the length and the height, to know the love of Christ with patches of knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Inside is what Paul says is important. He was writing to people who had cancer. He was writing to people who had hardships and all manner of things going on. And he has no promise that those things are going to go away. Even Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh. and It remained until the last of his days. But his inward man was being continually renewed. In 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, this is something he keeps trying to tell the people in Corinth because I don't think that they got it. Now let me stop for just a moment. When I say in this room that the only value is the spirit of a man and the word of God, we can and even should ask a reasonable question, which is, well, okay, so this is a tent, this is an earthen vessel, but is there no value to the body? And the reality is there is. The reality is there is. In 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great resurrection chapter, Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians. He says that the physical body is perishable, but... But, 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 it is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. In the long run, there is no part of that which makes you, you, that God will not preserve and sanctify and glorify in his time. Body and spirit. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Remember the temporary eternal balance? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do you see what he does here? Light affliction. This is a guy who'd been beaten and shipwrecked and ultimately was martyred, and he says, this is light. He says, on the scales of eternity, the greatest hardships we face here don't light a candle compared to that the eternal weight of glory. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, in the field of economics, value is measured in different ways. Now, we tend to look at material cost. If you build a house, if you buy a car, the car is a composite. Its value is a composite of the materials used, and the amenities that the car has. So we see value as a function of the material cost of that which is before us. But that's not the only thing that comprises value. In the field of economics, there's something called the theta value of an object. And the theta value refers to time. We do this by way of example. There are certain things that if you were given... Right now, if you were given a million dollars, you would say, this is wonderful. Thank you very much. But what if at the same time you only had five minutes to use it? What if right now you had a million dollars just put in your hand and the next two minutes it's gone? disappears. Well, how much value does it really have then? You understand? Value is not simply a function of that which you see before you. It's a function of time. You and I are pursuing the shiny baubles of this world that'll be gone like that. Like the million dollars I put in your hand and took it right back. That's, that's what we're pursuing and spending so much time in. Houses, cars, toys, whatever. There's so many shiny toys and baubles that are going to be gone in a moment because there's a value associated with the time that we'll have it that we're not thinking through because we think, we think that the time we've got here on earth that this is some large and significant quantity. Paul and God say, no, dear heavens, do you have any idea how short this is? We're like a vapor. How often does Scripture say that the life of a man is like the puff of smoke, a vapor, a breathing of the wind, the bending over of a blade of grass? That's your life. Now, again, we're on this side of glory, so we don't necessarily see it that way, which is why we need to take God as word. If he tells you that eternity is far better to invest in, believe it. Why? Because eternity is eternal. Everything we see and everything we're investing ourselves in, the shiny toys and the things that we're prioritizing right now, if we're taking the things of God and subjugating below those things, we are not shrewd spiritual investors. If we're prioritizing the things that are going to be gone like that rather than that which is eternal, then we are in error. So in verses 17 and 18, this is what Paul says, We do not look to the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. We don't look and prioritize all the things in this world, but we prioritize that which is eternal. Let me close by identifying Christ's own words on this. We've read what Paul has had to say, and obviously God inspired Paul, but Christ himself said, in essence, the same thing to his audience, the same thing that we're talking about this morning. Matthew 6, Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves... The treasures here on earth, but lay up for yourselves the treasures that are in heaven. This is the divine banker speaking. This is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I says, Hey guys, hey guys, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but focus, prioritize, emphasize the treasures in heaven. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This morning, whether it's Christ's message to his disciples and those he was speaking to in Matthew 6. Whether it is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Whether us considering these things in Gulfport, Mississippi. 2,000 years later, the message is the same. You have been given a certain amount of days. For some of us, we're on the latter half of that cycle. You and I have been given a certain amount of days. How are we using them? To what end are we using them? What are we prioritizing? If this day we recognize that maybe we're not the shrewdest spiritual bankers, the good news is that while you still have breath in your lungs, there's time to change things up. There's times to reprioritize. And I think that's what God's message would be for you. Fathers, husbands, mothers, wives, children, teenagers, we need to have a reckoning with that which will last. And the message from Scripture time and time and time again is don't wait, do it now. Let's pray.
0: For those of you who are following our podcast internationally, you're more than welcome to rebroadcast our sermon and course content to those in your own local region. All of our content may be freely aired and freely distributed for the glory of God and the benefit of His
1: people.